TC Hill is not a doctor and does not claim to be a doctor or licensed in any type of medical field. Don't be an idiot and use anything heard on the show as medical advice. This information should be used for educational purposes only and you should contact your doctor for any medical advice. Now get off me. Welcome to Kick It Naturally. I'm Kenna McEnroe and I'm here with TC Hale, author, natural health expert, producer. I'm, I'm going to be in the show today. Ah. I'm going to be a participant in this show. Oh good, because you usually don't. Yeah, hello. Hey. I'm participating. All right. To my left is Hottie Patati Will Schmidt. What's up, Will? I'm about to sneeze. Oh, no. It's coming. It's going to be oh. three. Ready? Stand clear. Ready? Stand. Oh. <coughs> Bless me. you. Sorry. Oh, cheers, too. There'll be one more. It's coming. Just. Uh, no, no. Oh, she doubled there's nothing it. crap on my face or anything. Oh, good times. Mucus. Uh-huh. We'll talk about mucus will be today's yeah, topic. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. All right, so if you haven't liked us on Facebook yet, go to Kick It In The Nuts. That's where we post all of our future show topics like mucus. And you guys can ask any questions you want us to cover in that show, yeah. and uh, we'll try to cover it. You ask can your also, snot-related questions. Yeah, you can also say ask us questions or, or, or say, hey, this is the show I want you to do, and we'll probably do it. Probably will. We're still going to do that one next week on laminates. Oh, cool. Flooring and uh, <laughs> cool. stuff. It'll be, cool. a good, it'll be a good episode. Yeah. That'd be awesome just to see us sitting there talking about laminates. The home laminating like, system. Yeah, they're on the floor. I don't. That's all I got. Yeah. Then y'all will feel like I feel like every single week where you don't know crap about what you're talking about. Oh, cool. All right, well, today's show is another one of those Ask Tonys. Good job, Kenna, I'm for not cussing. I'm learning to pronunciate. Yeah. Learning to pronunciate. So let's do uh, let's do the questions. All right, this is weird for the I don't know why I'm reading through this mesh here. Like, yeah. Okay. So uh, Donna from Charleston, South Carolina. Hi Tony, I've had to use. Hi the... hi Donna. Okay. okay. He says hi Donna. I've had to use the restroom every half hour most of my life. Ooh, I have insters interstitial cystitis. Mm-hmm. Interstitial cystitis. Say that one. Interstitial cystitis. Oh, yeah, you make it sound easy. Which basically means I have no lining on my bladder, so apparently acid bothers me. According to my doctor and what I've read, people with this problem already have very acidic bodies and a large portion have IBS. For years, I only poop every few days, sometimes every five days or so. I bloat easily and and, and know I have digestive problems. I used to be a size 6. Over the past four to five years, I have gained 25 to 30 pounds, and I'm so frustrated. I have never been this heavy. It's devastating. I plan on using your book to help change my life. My question is, may I take the supplements you suggested with this problem I have with my bladder? I am feeling at least, I am feeling at least these supplements will help me go number two. Thanks. Sure, Donna, and you're welcome. And I think that my book will help. Because you'll have something to do if you're in the bathroom every 30 minutes. And that book is Kick Your Fat in the Nuts or Done with Being Fat. Right. Woo. But let's let's break down some of these things because I think that you may be surprised that uh, the, the for you, it sounds like the IBS and the frequent urination, uh, we call it polyuria, some people will call it that, um, it seem to be from different causes. Now, every, everybody's different, so you might have to look at a few things. But you may be thinking, well, they both end up in the toilet, so it, I must just have one problem that's causing all these things. And like she said, maybe my body is too, uh, quote unquote, acidic. And um, if you haven't heard last shows when we talk about people saying that someone is too acidic or stuff like that, 
you might not know that me and Will slap the people who say that. Yeah. It's not, we're not violent about it, but we want to slap them no, hard so enough so they'll be like, it's stern. Yeah, it's like, yeah, it's stern. It's like, why yeah. did you slap me? Well, there's got to be some people in the world that are too acidic. Right, but there's different compartments, or it depends on like what you're your talking blood about. Or your pH right, or your so blah, it's blah, important blah, blah, to know blah, blah, what a person blah, blah, is talking about. Uh, the people who are trying to get everyone to alkalize or die, um, they tell us that, oh, your body's too acidic, and that's not really a true statement to say we have to look at different compartments different categories of what we're talking about before we decide you know if a ph is is accurate or not yeah your and your stomach acid ph is in a way related to your bladder ph but they're very different fluid compartments like you having a sufficiently acidic stomach doesn't mean that your urine is going to be acid or alkaline like they're very they're kind of two different neighborhoods yeah it's a right? different neighborhood and one of them is pretty ghetto yeah <laughs> i mean your stomach is supposed to be really acidic and if you only go to the bathroom once every few days it's probably nowhere near acidic enough probably. right so when we say bathroom because she introduced that i'm in the bathroom every she half hour it sounds like two. sounds like she's peeing every half hour but she doesn't poop, but like maybe once a week, maybe twice in a week, which you don't want that. Yeah, you want to be going to the restroom, like having a bowel movement, number two, Yeah. at least once a day, would at you say? At least once a day. A lot of people do well with twice a day, but you got to yeah. poop every day if you want to hang out in a cool neighborhood. Yeah, yeah. So we're going to talk about how to make that happen. Right, and the you know you talk about that extensively in your book, in our digestive course at Kick It Naturally. Dot com, but one of the biggest things is probably going to be that she'll probably need to supplement with hydrochloric acid for a little while to get her bowel moving faster, and that will help a lot with the weight loss. It's not necessarily going to correct this other issue of her needing to pee all but the time. But we're going to talk about that, and we yeah. think that we're going to give you some good advice on that. So well, one thing to think about is that you say that you bloat very easily, and that's usually caused by a lack of stomach acid or bacteria taking over in the stomach. So it's a pretty, it's not definite just by looking at that symptom, but it's pretty common that someone who's bloating is not making enough hydrochloric acid or their stomach is not acidic enough. Or and maybe all that poop stuck in there too. Makes it's it just backing like up all the way. Yeah. yeah. Well, that might not be the right way to look at it, but it's a fun way. Oh, okay. Maybe they count it. Um, but let's look at how uh, the stool kind of moves through the system at a speed related to its acidity level. So if a stool is very, uh, very acidic and maybe it didn't get neutralized because there's not enough bile, it's going to kind of scream through the system and come shooting out the back door in the form of soup or something very loose. Uh, but if a stool is not acidic enough, which is usually from not enough hydrochloric acid in the stomach, it will move very slowly. And that's the people that often get constipated. And there's another imbalance that we talk about a lot, the anabolic imbalance that can cause constipation too. Do you want to talk about why that would make somebody poop every only five or six days? Yeah, and this may have more to do with her issue of having to pee all the time. When your body is leaning too much into an anabolic imbalance, then more of the water that you consume in your food and your beverages will go out through your kidneys and not as much of it will go out through your colon. 
so you would have slower transit time of the food of the food you eat in your intestinal tract and more urine so you'd be having to go to the bathroom more frequently not saying that for sure is like what's happening in her case if there's some special condition but that is a tendency of anabolic imbalances yeah and it's, it's common for constipated people to be dealing with that and sometimes it's a combination of both things that are contributing to the constipation which is why most folks that deal with chronic constipation try these remedies that someone suggests and it doesn't fix the problem or at least it doesn't long term uh, because they may have more than one underlying cause creating it. But to relate this back to the bladder issue, she says that she doesn't have a bladder lining and that could be true, but in a lot of people with these issues, it's not that they don't have a bladder lining, it's that their urine is so acidic that the uh, acidic urine is irritating the lining of the, bliner, the bladder. So it, it gives that sensation of, I have to pee because the bladder's like, this stuff is hot, get it out of here. And so you get that sensation that you have to pee, you run to the bathroom, and you're like, man, I gotta pee, here it comes, and it twinkle, 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 twinkle a little bit comes out. And it's like, man, I, that was not impressive at all. So uh, the person ends up having to pee every time any type of urine goes into the bladder because it's so acidic that it's irritating that lining. Now, I guess it could be possible that if it's really acidic for a long time, it could damage that lining or maybe burn part of it off. I don't know. But I, it, when I looked up some stuff on this, it does seem like some people think that there isn't a lining and some people just think that it, is, it gets irritated easily. Mm. But what we see is that when people have this issue, you can usually look at their urine pH and it'll be around 5.0 or something very acidic like that. And if you take steps to change that urine pH, all of a sudden it's not irritating that bladder lining and you don't have to pee every few seconds. Mm -hmm. Now let's go the other direction. What about if the urine's way too alkaline? That yeah. could still irritate the bladder. Yeah, and I mean, it's an easy way. This is an easy fluid to check the pH of. You just pee on a pH strip. You can tell, like, is your urine super acidic or alkaline, or is it kind of balanced? Um, and you can get those pH test papers anywhere. Amazon or Whole Foods has, a lot of places have pH test papers. It's not expensive. Easy test to run. Those health food stores have Yeah. It. But when, when I hear of a, not that I don't believe in pathologies and disease, uh, or diagnoses all the time, but when I hear of one that is just describing the symptom, I don't like to stop my logic there. Right. Like, I don't like to say, oh, interstitial cystitis, oh, that's too bad, sorry about your luck, Yeah. genetic sorry, you have, thing, you right. have a prescription you have to take forever that only kind of works and has side effects. Like, I don't, I look at like, what does that mean? Interstitial, in between the tissue spaces or in between the cells, cystitis, there's inflammation and cysts in the space in between your cells. Like that's what that means. And if you were to just come into like the room and say, hey, there's like cysts and inflammation like here, that wouldn't be like the conclusion. Right. Well, that would be the description it. of the symptom, right? right? That's what that is. So don't stop your logic and just be like, oh, cause this doctor said this like fancy um, descriptive term to you that then all of a sudden they know what's causing that. They don't. And a lot of times they'll be very clear if you ask them what's causing it. A lot of times they'll say, we don't know. Like they'll say, oh, genetic. Oh, it's because your mom is Jewish. Or, right. Yeah. They don't say, what? That's real answers. <laughs> you know, so like you got to dig deeper. Look at your chemistry. Look at like what is off in these markers that we teach you to check. Not that they're the end all be all, but there's some good starting points to look at your your chemistry through the self-test we teach in the right. digestive issues course 
Or, and if that doesn't solve it, keep looking, look at other tests, but don't just stop because some doctor gave you a descriptive term as a diagnosis. Like, keep looking, why? Why is it? Why are there Yeah, a lot of times the reason they give you is because it's common. Well, why do I have this? Oh, because it's yeah. common. Yeah, and if they say like, oh, well, I have this just because I don't have a lining on their belly. Like, why Why do you not have a lining on your bladder? <laughs> right. Is it because your urine's crazy acidic or is it from some other thing? And it may be complicated. You may have to look and research for a while, you know, to figure these things out. Um, but don't just accept that you have this thing and you're just screwed, you know? Right. Yeah, and we have seen this from a lot of people. And when they change their urine pH, and you'll be able to watch because you can test it, you know, every other day. It you know, you can do it whenever. So as you test it, if the numbers in the pH change and your symptoms change, a la peanut butter sandwiches, you just, you just kind of figured it out. Yeah. So this is a situation that uh, might be a little easier to figure out than others. So let's look at the other stuff that Donna was saying, that she's gained 25 to 30 pounds, really frustrated and inability to lose weight. So... The first thing I want to talk about is if you if you can't poop, guess what? Those toxins are going somewhere. They don't just evaporate or get burned up as fuel. There's junk that's supposed to be leaving, and when it can't, the body will often get overwhelmed. It'll store some junk in fat cells, and those fat cells can expand and accumulate, and we gain weight. So if you're bloating uh, and if you're constipated, those are two things that have to be corrected in order for weight loss to be achievable and you may have other issues and we have a lot of episodes where we talk about uh, weight loss you could talk listen to our fat loss plateaus episode and we talked about 10 or 12 different things that a person needs to look at but right off the bat if you're not pooping you got to fix that if or if anything you do to try to lose weight is not going to be effective yeah i mean her, I think one of the main questions, just to reiterate on, is like, can she still take these supplements with the bladder issue? Yeah. The only ones you wouldn't necessarily take is if your urine is really acidic, like you have no need to take ascorbic, ascorbic acid. acid or something. Like it's already too acidic. But that's you'll learn that when you start doing the you know the self test and see. Right, and and look at your tests and see. Okay, am I too catabolic, or is it just my urine pH is one direction or the other? And if it's severely in one direction. Then you can start to look at, okay, what kind of food choices, what kind of supplements, and what kind of steps that I can take can help move that in the right direction. And Donna is reading the book, but we also, if you're not reading the book today, all of our listeners can get a free audiobook from audible.com. Audible.com. Go to kickitinthenuts.com forward slash audiobooks for all the details. Yeah, those are details there. And you can also get one of those too, Donna, if you like listening to it, you know, in your car or someplace and don't like to read all the time. Yeah, we hear from a lot of people that are like, I read the book and seven seven things made sense. That was it. I only got seven things. But then after you listen to it, like an audio book or read it again, it's like, oh, I got all these other things that I totally missed last time. Next, you need a pop-up book. Oh, that'd be good. Scratch Maybe a snip. Coloring. Yeah, exactly. I like to color. Scratch coloring books might be really good, too. Yeah. A digestive issue scratches. <laughs> oh, God. This smells like stomach rot. Yeah, this is... Okay, so this is a, just an email from Jacqueline. I would like to know more about food we should eat and why and foods we shouldn't eat and why. I know about not eating sugar and starches, but it was a surprise to most of us in the support group to find out that avocados might not be so good for us. I must have missed that post because I don't remember that. 
and bone broth is supposed to be good for us. But is that just beef or any kind? Does it have the same power if you drink it straight, or is it still good for you in a soup? Can drinking too much drift you more catabolic because of the fat? And I don't like the taste of all the fat, so I skim it and remove some of the junk from the bone. Am I doing myself a disservice? Also, you mentioned whole food vitamin C and lysine in the courses, but what foods contain those? Okay, these are just some examples. Thank you very much. Okay, so we got lots of stuff to yeah. talk about. Well, what yeah. about that avocado stuff? Did I miss something? What Maybe you did on? miss something. So uh, there's a Ray Pete says some stuff, and he's the one who gave us this information about uh, polyunsaturated fatty acids causing problems at the cellular level. And so there's a lot of things that we used to be big fans of that now we realize okay maybe that's not as beneficial as we thought and like you know olive oil is one of those things uh avocados is one of those things what else is in one flax oil pretty much all nut and seed oils fish oils evening primrose oil like all those like marketed as essential fatty acids Mm -hmm. Uh, have a lot of issues with them. And Which, of course, the mainstream is saying everybody take fish oil or you're going to die on Thursday. Yeah. If, you're not, if you haven't had five pounds of fish oil by Thursday, you're dead. Yeah, all about it. And then there's a lot of people, too, that will also report like, oh, I feel so much better when I do that. And there's really complicated explanations of why they feel better. And also a lot of research and you know studies that's, that claim to prove that they're essential. And then if you dig deeper in like the conclusions that they made you realize oh they're completely wrong in their conclusions these these paramount foundational studies that these bodies of knowledge have been built on were erroneous in their conclusions and it's the way that they interact with our cell proteins is is detrimental and according to repeat if you go to repeat.com and type in fatty acids or essential fatty acids you'll see some really uh really insightful articles that will make you think twice about jumping on the bandwagon of of the promotion behind all the omega-3 and omega-6 fatty acids. and um, <clears throat> She has a lot of questions, though. So beyond just that about fatty acids, other things like um, bone broth. You well, can... let's stick, let's oh, stick to this stick for a second. One? Yeah, I want to stick to it just for a minute. So, um, you know, we've always said that fatty acids can be very detrimental if someone's already catabolic because they push someone more catabolic, but that someone who's extremely anabolic could benefit by correcting that imbalance and in a situation like that that imbalance can cause some very severe issues so if you need to take those steps to pull yourself out of that is that really harmful even if it's uh causing some issues at the cellular level and things like you know like ray pete is like don't eat any avocado or anything like that and i'm not that far on board with that because i like to see people eat a wider variety of things because Avocados also have other things that we know delicious. are beneficial in them. Well, delicious, delicious. It can be fun, but we don't always go just by Aww. delicious. Um, but, you know, if a person is eating ding-dongs and, and tacos every day, okay. and they're going to move over to an avocado, I still see that as an improvement, even though we know now that there could be other detrimental things going on. So it's just important to look at something like, Okay, maybe that's not as healthy as we thought it was. And I remember realizing that about like nuts and seeds, you know, eight or nine years ago when I was the captain of eating nuts and seeds. And then I realized, oh, this is might be pushing me a lot more catabolic and causing other problems. Um, so a lot of foods that we just hear that are healthy, you just have to realize that 
again, you have to look at the person, but it may also not be as beneficial as we thought. Yeah, and there may be better ways to do things. Like there may be some catabolic inducing effects that fatty acids have that prove on some level beneficial to an anabolic person, but there may be a better way to push them catabolic, like maybe through magnesium or other amino acids that can help, you know, nudge their chemistry in a way that doesn't also come along with the problems from unsaturated fats. And some of those problems are like the way that unsaturated fats will interfere with regular cellular respiration, regular cellular energy production. And that's one of the main things that, um, that Ray Pete will really focus on is how they interfere with mitochondrial usage of glucose. So when we look at things like <clears throat> people developing insulin resistance after being on a ketogenic for a long time, a ketogenic diet, part of that, it's not just because the cells like lose their capacity to use glucose, it's because all the fatty acids in their tissues are interfering with the mitochondria being able to use that glucose. So it wasn't even just the deprivation of glucose that would make the cells less good at using them, although that's a factor. It's also all the fatty acids that get in the, the way. accumulation. Yeah. So that would happen over time. It's not yeah. going to happen because you ate an avocado on Tuesday. Yeah. This is a prolonged thing. And you also have to realize that um, th these issues that a lot of them that Ray Pete are talking about are a big deal in our society because we screwed up with the fats that we were promoting for decades and we took away all the beneficial good fats and we put in all these horrible vegetable oils and things and people have been saturating their tissues with this garbage for a long time so that's a really huge problem and it's really confusing too because for decades like you said they were super promoted as healthier alternatives right. so there's generations of people in our nation that are brainwashed into thinking that these are healthier and that saturated fats are detrimental and that you know butter will give you high cholesterol when it doesn't like right you're gonna have a heart attack it and... doesn't you know and they a time magazine even had to like come out with this like apology, apology uh, right. yeah they're like oh actually butter's back we love you you know right. sorry, sorry we about the fingered week. you for the murder right you know but in in reality like the there's industrial reasons why plant oils became so popular they were just much cheaper to make than butter and towel and they could make a much bigger profit so there's a lot of money motivating the industry to go that way and to promote that and to badmouth the competitors so but what we see now in a lot of more modern research is that those saturated fats and cholesterol rich foods are are generally beneficial provided you can digest them and that the unsaturated fats these polyunsaturated fatty acids which are really abundant in like pretty much any restaurant you go to they cook in like peanut oil or corn oil or safflower right. or grapeseed right. oil all those things yeah or like the unsaturated fats including olive oil are not heat stable so if you cook with them at all or and a lot of them are just not stable at all once they get into your bloodstream They're already rancid. so olive oil is a little bit better in that it is more stable because it is more saturated than say like flax oil or fish oil but most of those unsaturated fats even if you eat them in a pristine unrancid state they become rancid as your cells oxidize it. So yeah. even having olive oil on a salad. Olive oil is more stable, so it's less. It's okay. Yeah. Okay. It's only missing one. Hey, yeah, bond. I think it's important to look at olive oil as the beneficial one. However, it's you know in higher amounts, it could still cause yeah. some of these problems. So it's just not as healthy as 
uh, at least I thought for a very long time. Yeah. Um, but it, again, I think that especially when you're looking at some of these things that Ray Pete says, he gets very extreme in some cases, and he even he's even like, you know, don't eat broccoli or it's going to give you goiters. And mm. you know, I I found other people that are like, well, it can be an issue if your body doesn't have enough iodine for some of these type of vegetables, but you can't get to the point where okay, there's three things to eat. You know, you really want your body to get a wider variety of nutrients, but you also don't want to have broccoli at every meal every single day. Uh, so it's it's a kind of a give and take thing, mm-hmm. but it's it's nice to at least understand some of these things that we think are 100% beneficial may not be 100% beneficial, especially for some people. Yeah, and I'm not even I'm not even flatly against eating starches and sugars. Like you might be a bodybuilder, and you, you might, might be a situation where that's you know, beneficial. And you right? want to spike your insulin, and you want to promote muscle growth. So, I I try to stick away or stay away from like these hard fast rules about things, even including with the unsaturated fats. Like I am not close to there being a potentially good usage for them especially in some cases maybe they totally cure some condition you know right but um in general what i see is like a lot of people will do better if they stick more towards saturated fats and if they generally avoid these polyunsaturated fats you know and what i did when i first started learning this stuff and it was so amazing to me was i took things too extreme as i found that oh this food can be pro-catabolic so i'm going to eat that Never. Not for 15 years. I'm not even going to have that anywhere in my house. And I think that that's the wrong way to do it. I think that you need to find more balance. And it's nice to understand what foods might push an imbalance one direction or another or cause these situations so that you know not to focus too much of those or know what part of the day to eat them and all that kind of stuff. But I think that you shouldn't push, you know, hear something bad that a food can do and completely remove it because the body likes to have a wide variety of nutrients. Yeah, and, cookie dough batter. Yeah. yeah. Well, there's got to be a use for cookie dough batter at some point. I right. was going to ask you, you said something, and you were talking about Ray Pete saying something about ketogenic and some people saying now that they're like um, uh, insulin resistant or whatever. So is now, is that bad too? I mean, because every week there's oh, something that's like, oh, we thought this was good before and now this is bad. I mean, I, I try to... And I think we do a pretty good job of sticking to this sort of general perspective, but understanding that it's a case by case issue. And sometimes a ketogenic diet like it cures epilepsy, and yeah, like, it's yeah. totally it's awesome, you know. Okay. But then there's also like um, there's other factors where you can do it wrong. Like, say you were on a ketogenic diet and you're having a lot of unsaturated fats in the midst of that. That could create really, really big problems. Like if you don't have any glucose and you have all these fatty acids interfering with regular cellular respiration, you could become totally diabetic from that. And we, we've also talked a lot about, you know, watch your breath rate. Is it coming way down because you're not having any carbs or anything? And if that's the case, that's a problem. So it's not that it's a, a horrible thing that nobody should do, but we have learned other things as going through this that, oh, you really got to watch that if you're going to do that program and make sure that you're not pushing yourself too catabolic. Make sure your bloodstream's not leaning too alkaline. You know, all that kind of stuff. Make sure it doesn't make you go crazy. Right. I I went crazy. Well, you're a little bit crazy already, so you got (laughs) to keep that in mind. Crazy like a wolf. But But it does seem that for the people who do the ketogenic stuff for a period of years, 
that over years other problems do occur and they need to at least pull out for a little bit. Yeah, I mean, I think for some people it's an amazing medical resource for them. Like curing epilepsy is awesome for that. It's better than any medication that's been invented for that. And then I know like a lot of the the guys, and I know it works great for fat loss for a lot of men, especially with lower estrogen levels. But it is, it can be a stressful thing, like, because when your blood glucose levels are really low, cortisol and adrenaline will be really high, and your liver will be, like, manufacturing extra glucose to try to fuel your cells, and then it'll switch into making just ketones. And there's different metabolic consequences for different people. Part of it depends, like, how good are your cells at using fat for energy? Yeah, and I also had a bowel flow problem at the time, so it was miserable with all the fat. Right. How like, good oh, are you at, like, digesting yeah. those different foods? Where are your hormone levels at? Like, what are your estrogen levels and your stre- other stress hormone levels? All those go into it, into mm-hmm. making whether or not this diet's really going to work for you or not. And I think one thing that me and Will really agreed on was that it also can depend on the severity of a ketogenic diet that someone's using. Like, the things that we teach in the book and stuff are a slightly ketogenic diet for some people, depending on how many medium carbs they're having and stuff like that and and their ability to process fat. It's just that severe ketogenic state that a lot of people shoot for that seems to cause a lot more problems than we had known about before. So again, it's kind of back to looking at the person and maybe not being so overblown in one direction that the problems occur and you can still see some success but let's get back to some other foods too that you know maybe may be beneficial and uh, some people may think or maybe may, may not be and to cover the bone broth part of the question yeah I, I like I like the sipping of the bone broth but I also anytime I make like a, a slow cooking soup or stew or something like that I use bone broth as the broth base of that and so if you put it in soups and stuff, that's great too. There's not a problem with that. Yeah, I mean, and she also asked, does it always have to come from beef? And no, no it no, doesn't. No. I've made it with, it's like a whole chicken I'll buy from mm-hmm. like Whole Foods. You just throw chicken the entire feet. thing in there. Right. Some people make it with extra collagen-rich tissues like chicken feet with the skin on it and all that. Some people may need to be more cautious of using bone marrow bones because they have a very high iron content, which would be awful for you, Tony, like with iron issues, but maybe really important for like some some female that's like bleeding really heavily or something. Right, and has iron problems. And most people, the thing is with iron is that most people benefit from getting more iron, but the people who don't really, really don't. But, you know, I'm, I I took care of my issue and I've had my iron levels balanced so I can do marrow bone broth now and do my levels don't go up because I'm also donating blood occasionally to keep them where I want them. Like, I watch my numbers. I know what I'm doing. Um, so if someone has... And he's given himself his period back. Right. So got my now period. you've got your period back, you bleed once a month. Right. It's a good job. Yeah. Um, so, but yeah, the, you know, I, I always put uh, chicken feet in my bone broth too to get that yeah. extra collagen stuff. So making bone broth out of just chicken can be just as beneficial. It just may not have as much iron if you're a person that benefits from it. Mm-hmm. Well, she was saying skimming the stuff off the top. What, the, the fat. So you are missing out on some of the good stuff when you do that. But again, let's say that maybe you're not processing fats as well that could be part of the reason why you don't like them a lot of people 
don't like fat at all, but once their bile is improved and they process those, they find that they crave them more because the body's like, hey, this, I need this. This is great. Give me more of this. So there could be a reason that you like skimming it off, but if you can start to skim off less and find that your taste buds start to change and that you like that, then that could be beneficial too. I think she was a little confused on her question too where she said, can drinking too much bone broth make you drift catabolic? Yeah, that was she that, was confused. That would be, maybe she meant anabolic because those saturated fats can tend to push you more anabolic. And yeah, I guess it could. But I think the bigger problem to be concerned about is your digestive capacity. Like if you're starting to feel nauseous and gross, like that's a good sign you should cut back on it. And you you need enough bile to break down whatever fat you eat. And if you're eating like a ton of it because you think it's just good in unlimited quantity, like your stomach's going to let you know that you you mm-hmm. need to pace it. So, so that, work on your bile flow and stuff. Yeah. And also you don't have to like too much of a good thing is still yeah. too much. You know, you don't have to drink a gallon of bone broth a day to right. be healthy. Right. You know? and, but also if you're, if you're like, okay, I'm going to drink it all to get the benefits of the fat and it's disgusting and it, you, you start to not want to drink it, then you're losing all the other benefits that are in there because there's a lot of other nutrients and cofactors in there that you wouldn't get from other sources. So just skimming off the fat is not ruining it completely for you. I think Pacific, uh, the company Pacific, is one of the only ones who sells a cartoned bone broth. And they take all the fat out, out of it, which really annoys me and makes me upset with them. But um, there are still beneficial nutrients in there. That's probably to keep it from going rancid. I'm guessing could be. I have no I mean, because even saturated fats, like that's why we left coconut fat out of the complete protein. Because even coconut fats, which are highly resistant to rancidity, will still go rancid in like six months to a oh, year. That's right. I forgot about that. If you just that. like put some butter or something in the bone broth when you buy it from Pacific, because that would be so much easier. Might, yeah, you could add fats to it, but I I think it's smart to listen to your body. Like if you're getting really nauseous when you're eating this thing. Mm-hmm. You probably should modify it in some degree, whether it's a matter of improving your own bioflow using like coffee suppositories or beef flow, or if it's a matter of cutting back on the fat a little bit. Like listen to it, you know, don't just like push through and make yourself nauseous. Right. And and we talk about uh, for her whole food vitamin C question. We do talk about that a lot um, because so many people supplement with what they think is vitamin C and it's usually just ascorbic acid which is a fraction and that doesn't do what a whole source of vitamin C does, the whole molecule. So um, we like to supplement with it from uh, either we use Bio-C from Empirical or Camu Camu stuff or Acerola Cherry or we put a whole uh, food C in our protein powder so that people can get more. But there are foods that you can get vitamin C from and when you're getting it from a food you're getting the whole food form you're getting the whole molecule not just a fractionated form of vitamin C like ascorbic acid the problem is we talk about a lot that food just doesn't have the nutrients that it used to have in most cases so you just can't eat an orange anymore and thinking that you're getting all the vitamin C that you need because for a lot of people you're not but just to add some other things in, the foods that are higher in vitamin C are like peppers, uh, dark green leafy vegetables, broccoli berries, tomatoes, peas, uh, papaya and kiwi. I think those are the ones that have the highest levels of vitamin C. But again, if you're eating crap food, don't think that's enough to get your vitamin C. 
Yeah, I mean, you can fill it out too. Lots of fruits, like obviously oranges are kind of famous Citrus for that. Citrus stuff, we're going to have more. Right. Strawberries also. It's even in animals. Like in, you can get whole food vitamin C from animals. And some people even prefer the form of vitamin C from organ meats, I think. Right. Um, we use acerola cherry in the complete protein, which is just this very, very high vitamin C content. And camu camu is also a berry that you can get in a dry food powder form. Whole Foods will have that. You can get it much cheaper on Amazon. But those foods, just like a little bit of that added to like your shake most yeah. days is more than enough for most people. And what I find is that most people don't have enough vitamin C. So uh, it's just one of those things that's so easy to supplement with. I'm not saying that everybody needs to, but it's so easy that I just do it so that I don't have to worry about it. Yeah, and it's useful too, not only because... Our foods are kind of deplete of it compared to how they used to be, but also because we're exposed to other toxins that will use up the vitamin C that we have in it. Like if you're a smoker, it'll deplete a lot of your vitamin C or destroy it, and you would need more than a normal human would. So right. there's other toxins. Because if you're a smoker, you're not a normal human is what we're right. saying. Right. Mm-hmm. Or if you live in L.A. and just breathe exhaust because you right. drive to work, you know, yeah. carbon monoxide. So other supplemental vitamin C can be useful. Other times we'll use ascorbic acid to lower or urine pH, which is a fraction of vitamin C. But uh, vitamin C is really important. It, it's a critical part of your immune system, but it also is really important for the formation of collagen. It helps form crosslinks in the amino acids that make our collagen like a well-knitted sweater as opposed to just like a bunch of strings. So if you don't have enough vitamin C, your collagen can't form the correct protein crosslinks and it'll become deficient and fall apart. Right, so and even less complicated that, just think of it as that vitamin C is involved in pretty much every repairing and rebuilding process in the body. So yeah, you might want to have some of that. Yeah. Okay. She did say something else about the bone broth too, but I think that went along with skimming the fat. She said that she likes to clean the junk out of the bone. So that's That's the marrow. The marrow. So she that's the whole thing of the skimming the fat, right? Yeah, I mean a lot of people buy bone marrow bones because they want that part in, like yeah. the marrow yeah. in it. Like yeah. there's a lot of it's not just the fats in that. There's a lot of the like the, the primary proteins. And glycine, like the main amino acid in gelatin and collagen, like that's where we're getting that from the connective tissue and marrow. So you're getting the iron along with the other fats and these really foundational amino acids. That are hard to find in other places. So yeah. basically she's not really getting that if she's taking the stuff. Right. That's kind of like the main thing about like why you would want it. So you're throwing away like the most expensive, important part of it. And the amino acid profile in collagen and gelatin is where like a lot of the benefit comes from, especially glycine. Our our bodies are primarily collagen proteins, other than water, of course, but like the most abundant amino acids are the ones that we find in collagen and gelatin, which are just different forms of the same protein complex. But glycine, not only are we mostly made of it as far as our proteins are concerned, but it also has a hormonal impact on our body that is calming, cytoprotective, reduces stress hormones, extends lifespan, all sorts of like really amazing benefits to college or to glycine and the a few of the other primary amino acids in collagen, like proline and alanine. They have they're just really useful for balancing our hormone levels and protecting our cells. Cool. Cool. 
If you'd like to learn how to become a health coach or even just dig into more advanced teachings for yourself or your family, go to healthprocourse.com to learn about Tony and Will's course for coaches. Registration for this course only opens to the public for about a week at a time, so be sure to register for the coach newsletter so you'll be notified when the next registration opens. You'll find more info at healthprocourse.com. Audible.com. Oh, that was the wrong one. I did that it. Was the, the wrong, wrong one, yeah. Tony. Okay, let's go to Rick's. All right, Rick. Rick's back. Rick from the group with all the questions. Oh, one other thing about that. Like, I'm excited just to, like, plant the seed about it for our cookbook when it comes out. Because I think we're going to do a whole section to further, more extensively, answer Jacqueline's question about what food should we be eating and why. Yeah. We'll do, like, a little pantry section. Of, like, these cool. are the benefits. Right. Yeah. Now, in, in, in the book, too, I think it's chapter 18, if I remember correctly. It's, you know, foods specific to you that kind of talks about which ones go with what imbalances and might be beneficial. So that can be good to lean that direction. But I really like to see people get a wide variety of different nutrients instead of just eating the same thing over and over again or thinking that one food is really going to fix a problem because in most cases it's not. I I like to see people, instead of looking at what's the best food to eat, I want them to, most importantly, digest whatever they're eating, uh, eat more food that is real food, and then get a variety of that. In the book, in all of your books, and also in the Natural Selection Nutritionals, there's a little free course there. It talks about uh, customizing your diet using different specific foods. Like for the electrolyte deficient person, including more tomatoes or sodium rich kind of foods can help lift their blood pressure. So you talk more about other nuances of which foods can go well with different imbalances. Right, right. All right, Rick. I haven't finished the book yet and I've only listened to about half the podcast, so I have a question. Tony and Will often mention blood pressure and breath rate, but never heart rate. Is heart rate no longer a concern? When I started riding a bike about eight years ago, I read that I could judge my overall fitness partly by taking my resting heart rate first thing in the morning before I even rolled over in bed. At that time, it was about 68 breaths per minute. After a few months of riding, it was down to as low as 42 breaths per minute. Beats, beats. I told a guy I knew who worked out regularly and who everyone thought was fit that I'd gotten my resting heart rate. Oh, beats. Yeah, oh. beats. Okay. Yeah. That I'd gotten my. Oh my God. Because <laughs> we're talking about the heart. Never mind. Okay. Um, this is all scripted. Yes, this is all scripted. Uh, to make me look like the idiot on the show. Thanks, guys. <laughs> uh, that I'd forgotten. Uh, that I'd gotten my resting heart rate to 42, and he said that's too low. I thought, how am I supposed to control how fast my heart beats when I'm asleep? So now I'm wondering: Is resting heart rate a sign of fitness? Does des- does digestion affect heart rate since it affects so many other things like blood pressure? Okay, so. Um Here's the thing about uh, heart rate is that it's another piece of information and it can provide a lot of information. It can tell you a lot of different things, but it doesn't mean I'm healthy or not healthy. Uh, So there was a long time where people felt like the lower your heart rate, the better shape that you're in. And there's some factors to that that can uh, be true, especially when someone... um, gets into a better cardio type shape but you also have to look at the fact that a lot of those people have a very low heart rate because they're leaning way too catabolic from all the overtraining so let's talk about some of those things let's talk about how you can look at 
heart rate to get an idea of what's going on with, with thyroid the BPM. function. BPM. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, with thyroid function, you can also um, uh, really look and get a better idea of what's going on with an anabolic and catabolic imbalances. You know, we see a lot of people that have these uh, racing heart rate issues and they go to tachycardia and they're they're having consultations about whether they're going to have heart surgery or not. And uh, you just make them less anabolic and their heart rate goes right back to normal. So there's a lot of variations in there and things to look at. Let's look at some things. Yeah, so you might also want to reference the episode we did with um, Benedict Lerica. Mm-hmm. where we talked a lot about thyroid. Girlfriend. Yeah, she's awesome. Um, where we talked a lot about thyroid function and how you can monitor pulse rate to help get a sense of it. There's so many factors that affect um, your heart rate, though, that it's not a conclusive number. It's a piece of information yeah. that you look at with other pieces of yeah. information. Together with other stuff, it can be really useful. So in her... Um, in her teachings that she's really adopted, like she's just basically interpreting Ray Pete and making it practical and functional for people. But what she's learned from him and in working with her own clients is that looking at your pulse rate after eating can be a useful piece of information. If you looked at it before eating too, right? You're looking at the variation between those two things. Yeah. So when you sleep, your stress hormone levels will gradually rise throughout the night as your blood sugar lowers, so you'll have more cortisol and adrenaline. And with that, your your pulse rate can accelerate with the rise in adrenaline and stress hormones. When you wake up, you might have a very fast pulse rate because of that the stress hormone profile. Now, one piece of information about a pulse rate is that a very slow pulse can be, in some cases, an indication of an underactive thyroid. Not in all cases, but it can be a, a thing like, say you're not a trained athlete, you just have a slow, slow pulse. That can be an indication of a slow, uh, of an underactive thyroid and a hypothyroid state, a low, an underactive endocrine system. Now, sometimes that low pulse rate can be masked by stress hormones accelerating the, the pulse rate. When you eat and give yourself glycogen and glucose to draw from, those stress hormone levels go back down and the pulse rate may slow back down. So if you're like a a hypothyroid individual, you might wake up with a fast pulse rate and then you eat something and your pulse rate drops a lot. That could be a good indication that, oh, maybe I do have an underactive thyroid. Or if your pulse rate is just really slow all the time and you're not a trained athlete, like that could also be an indication of an underactive thyroid. You'd want to cross-reference and verify that with other things like a thyroid panel test and that kind of thing. Temperature and yeah. things like that too. Yeah, right. Other symptoms of uh, do you have a hypoactive thyroid? Because pulse rate can be indicative of that. If you're like a power lifter or a sprinter, you might develop a very strong heart. That is a very big stroke volume. So when it pumps, it's really efficient. So and it doesn't it, need to do as many pumps. Yeah, so it'll slow down from that. So that's another thing. Like you may not, you may have like a perfectly healthy thyroid and a low pulse. Right. So when when you look at that, when you look at pulse coming down and saying that I'm more fit, that's the result of that. That's why they say that because the heart became more efficient at its job and doesn't have to work as frequently, so to speak. Um, but we also see the pulse rate really slow down. And that's a sign of a catabolic imbalance. So all the time, if your pulse goes down to 42, it, it may have been because you became more fit, 
but it also could be because you became overly catabolic from overtraining. Mm -hmm. So you have to look at other markers as well to figure out, okay, was it a good one or is it a bad one? Yeah, and you can see that in like some tests can be really strong indicators of a catabolic imbalance, like the urine dipstick test. If you're peeing out protein, like that's a pretty strong imbalance or indication of a catabolic imbalance. And you might also have a very high urine-specific gravity and or high ammonia levels could also be indications of like, yeah, you're kind of leaning catabolic and that might not be that healthy. But by itself, pulse is not the most useful piece of information for any like solid conclusion right. but it's Unless useful alive or dead right, right. you want to have pulse good yeah. point you want That's you do want point. a pulse we also look at that with electrolyte imbalances when we look at going from laying down to standing up if your pulse rate changes more than 12 points from resting to standing and your blood pressure is either too high or too low that can be another like piece of evidence of an electrolyte imbalance Right. And just don't look at it like you're always wanting to lower pulse because someone with a low pulse that's overly catabolic, raising that pulse is actually a good sign that things are going in the right direction. Yeah, same true with like a hypothyroid individual. If you do work, you correct thyroid function, you see their pulse speed up. And Benedict Lerica and Repeat's goal for most people is like to get their pulse rate up to like 85. And that might be lower for athletes, you know, it might their ideal pulse rate may never get up to that pace. But for non-conditioned people like that was kind of a goal that she seemed to have. Just know that that's not my goal. That's not what I'm saying. Because I see a lot of people with tachycardia that are up near 85 and 90. When you bring it back down, mm -hmm. they, they seem to improve a lot. Yeah, yeah, I agree. My, my pulse rate's generally much slower than that, too. So. Right. Um, so, Rick, we do talk about that some. We just maybe not as much as those other things because the other things seem to point to a lot more stuff. But I, in our coach course, we do talk a lot about pulse and different ways to, to view it that way. All right. If you want to learn more about how to look at your own chemistry, you can read any of Tony's books or take the almost free four-week digestion course at kickitnaturally.com or head on over to willsmybodyofknowledge.net. Um, that's where he has his blogs, exercises, fun articles, all that good stuff. All right. So we'll see you next week when we talk about laminates. All right. Cool. Learn more about today's topic by becoming a KIY member and gain access to our members-only podcast episodes. That's where we dig deeper into each topic and share the secrets that help our clients and coaches see such amazing results. You'll also gain access to our private support group where you can ask us questions when you get stuck. It's only $9 a month and you get free shipping at naturalreference.com, which can save you like $9 a month. So do the math and join the Kick It Yourself KIY gang. Go to kickitnaturally.com forward slash K-I-Y and we'll see you on the inside.